G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. And Richard Eagle, our guest through this coming hour, is a Bible teacher from Bathurst in New South Wales. Well, he has an online ministry called In Christ Fully Resourced, where he shares insights into the Scriptures and utilizes Hebrew word pictures. His books draw heavily on word pictures to bring greater depth to our understanding and the life application of the Scriptures. So uh, what a wonderful uh, privilege it is. Welcome along to you, Richard Eagle. Thank you, Neil. It's a great honour and a privilege to be with you and your listeners today. Uh, Richard, uh, I should say that your book called Life in the Rowboat is a number one bestseller in its category on Amazon last year and uh, that you also have a seminar which is entitled Get Your Butt in the Boat. Uh, No doubt we'll get to uh, what that's all about as we get our conversation underway. But tell us about Life in the Rowboat. Give us some idea of the inspiration behind a title for a book like that. Okay. Well, it might be helpful for your listeners who aren't familiar with uh, Hebrew word pictures if I just quickly um, explain how how they uh, work. So before Hebrew was a written language, it was actually a pictorial language, which I guess isn't that surprising given the amount of time that the Hebrews spent in and around Egypt, which is famous for its hieroglyphics. And uh, when uh, Hebrew became a written language, uh, they actually attached those pictures to the Hebrew alphabet. So each letter has a picture attached to it. So, for instance, you can take a Hebrew word and look at the dictionary meaning of it. So we'd look up Strong's Concordance, for example, But then there's another level whereby you can look at the individual pictures attached to the letters and see, if you like, the comic strip version of that word. So that's just a little bit of background. Well, that's fascinating background, and that'll be new to a lot of listeners who are listening to our conversation now. When we think of the Old Testament and written in Hebrew language and your reflection on how the Hebrew Uh, lettering was originally a pictorial way of demonstrating uh, language, of uh, pictorially uh, displaying meaning. And uh, I guess that's that's an interesting aspect. Is is there a particular uh Hebrew lettering that you that you've focused on to uh, to say these are these were originally pictures uh, I mean we're talking about today life in the rowboat what sort of pictures do you actually glean from uh, some of those uh, those pictorial lettering in the Hebrew language well we'll uh, get into the the key one and Neil, my journey into actually writing about the rowboat started with a verse of scripture that many of your listeners can probably quote from memory, and it's uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. 
uh, and it reads, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And the word future in Hebrew is the word akarith. And it literally means afterwards, backwards, or after part. And our Western minds go, that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and um, thankfully, I'm not the only one that had that problem because there was a, a man by the name of Wolf who he he came up with a picture which isn't technically a Hebrew word picture to try and convey the Hebrew understanding of this word future. And and the image he gave was the future is like a person sitting in a rowboat. And when you're sitting in a rowboat, you're actually facing backwards and the future is behind you. And in a real sense, you're actually... Um, you're rowing into the future whilst looking backwards. And that's a, a really different way of thinking of, about the future. But the question then arises, well, if the future is about looking backwards, what am I looking back at? And what we look back at is the goodness and faithfulness of God. And we'll hopefully elaborate on that a bit more, but it gives a wonderful context, Neil, to many of the things in Scripture where uh, the God constantly encouraged his people to remember and uh, the, the building of altars and memorials to specify particular uh, points in time and places in history and even uh, some of the really boring bits of scripture, you know, when we read through the lists of and so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so and when we read the lists of kings and king so-and-so did this and he was wicked and king so-and-so did this and he was righteous and all of those scriptures can be understood much more clearly as we sit in the rowboat with the author of those scriptures and see them looking back down through all the generations and recognising that there's a constant throughout history and that is the goodness and faithfulness of God all generations. It's exciting to hear a uh, illustration like that because sometimes uh, when I'm reflecting on biblical prophecy and uh, people have different ideas about biblical prophecy, uh, some things you can point to and uh, and say that uh, somehow or other biblical prophecy is about the future being fulfilled. But uh, but when people see things uh, that have been prophetically mentioned even in Scripture. Uh, those things that are fulfilled, that come to pass, some, sometimes those are the things that point us back uh, to the cross, uh, to God's yep. salvation. And as you're saying, God's faithfulness 
uh, and his love, uh, those sorts of things. So, so there are so many things that actually confirm this idea of looking back. Indeed, indeed. And I'd, I'd, I'd love to share with you uh, a wonderful uh, insight the, the Lord gave me, and it's actually a connection between the rowboat and the ark. Okay, well... <laughs> Why don't we hold that thought and uh, we'll come back to it, uh, the rowboat and the ark. But when we talk about these uh, Hebrew word pictures, uh, did you say that there were Hebrew lettering pictures that actually depict a rowboat? No. No. So, okay, so so the idea idea that there are word pictures, uh, that means that if we look at a picture that looks back, Yep. Uh, and we're talking about a rowboat. It's a a modern way of talking about uh, how we can actually uh, understand uh, an appreciation of the scriptures and the way God has spoken, but also appreciating the past and the way ahead. Absolutely. And when we come to, to talk about the ark, you'll begin to see how the actual Hebrew word pictures work. Okay, now, well, now where maybe we won't wait until later to talk about the ark because this sounds like it's uh, got an important connection here. Um, Hebrew word pictures and the ark. What's the connection there? Okay, well, my my part of the journey into uh, the revelation of the ark began with a word study of um, grace, and now we we all know the the meaning of grace, don't we? So God's unmerited favour. Um, it's it's one of those foundational words in our Christian faith. Um, but I wonder how many of us realise the very first place in Scripture that grace is mentioned. And it's actually in Genesis 6 and verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the, the rabbis actually had a, um, a, I guess you'd call it a study rule in the way that they studied scripture, and it was called the law of first mention. And it means that if you find the first place that a word is mentioned in scripture, often you'll find that it's a rich gold mine that reveals so much of the deep meaning of that word. And this is, for me, one of the best examples of that that I've ever found. And the word picture is this. So in Hebrew, the word grace is has just two letters in it in Hebrew. So the first letter is chet, C-H-E-T, and the picture attached to that is a fence. And the second letter is the letter Noon, N-O-O-N. And it has a picture of fish darting through water, or it's a picture of life. So when we put those two together, we see that grace is a fence that protects life. Okay. All right. Um it's uh, an interesting aspect to draw out from the scriptures. And uh, 
I want to invite listeners to participate in our conversation today. It's a different sort of a conversation, talking about Hebrew word pictures, but we are going to be talking a lot about the rowboat today. Uh, but uh, 1-800-316-316, if you'd like to join into our conversation. Uh, Richard, let's come back to the rowboat, uh, because the image that might immediately come to mind is a single person rowing in a boat with two oars, although I think your image of the rowboat is actually more like uh, the sort of rowing that we might watch in competition and uh, lots of people in the boat all rowing in unison. Is that the way your picture works? Actually, it works both ways. <laughs> Good. Just just depends uh, what you're meditating on. So uh, just before I respond to that question, uh, when you take that uh, definition of grace and look at the ark, the ark was a big fence that protected all the life left on planet Earth. And so the takeaway is that uh, this rowboat that we're sitting in is actually our ark okay so uh, when we're talking boats back to the ark and so the image of the rowboat which i suspect in your writing has to do with groups of christian believers and so we might look at the church so individual and also the church uh, this connection of grace the fence around the people uh, the protection of the life uh, this is the uh, the sort of image that you you've created Absolutely, yep. Okay, uh, let's talk about the rowboat because I know that the oars have significance in the word picture that you've uh, created or that you've, uh, that you've gleaned here. Uh, how do the oars work? Okay, well initially, Neil, I had no idea. I had this picture of the rowboat, but I, I, I guess I was asking... Uh, in in my heart, Lord, what are the oars? And then one day it just dropped into my mind that the oars are trust and obey. And people of my generation would remember that great old, old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way. Uh, but it gets very exciting when you look at the word picture meanings behind trust and obey in Scripture. So the word picture for trust is inside the surrounding fence. Okay, so there's uh, that connection too to the ark. That's right. All right. So it, it places trust right in our ark or in our rowboat. And then the second or is obey. And the word picture meaning for obey is to see the name. Now, one of the things that I that really impacted me when I started to, to see the relevance of trust and obey uh, was that up until that point, Neil, I thought of trusting and obeying as two pretty separate activities. So in... In my, in my own way, uh, before I'd uh, commit to a relationship where I was willing to submit and obey, I had this checklist or this trust criteria, if you like. So I'd go through and 
tick it all off and then if everything checked out, my next action was to submit or obey. But the reality is that that approach doesn't work in the rowboat because in order for uh, the rowboat to the oars to uh, propel you into your future, you have to be engaging both oars at the same time. If you only engage one oar, you end up going round and round in circles. And that was a real aha moment for me. I thought, oh, right, I think I know why I've been going round and round in circles so much. Because particularly in my relationship with the Lord, it has to be trust and obey with both oars being engaged at the same time. Okay, the picture is coming together, isn't it? Uh, We're talking about life in the rowboat and uh, Hebrew word pictures, a connection to the ark. We're talking about the life that sits in a rowboat which is facing backwards but moving forward. And we're talking about oars in the rowboat, trust and obey, that must work in unison together. Uh, it's a significant picture, and I, I suspect, though, uh, Richard, when we talk about uh, life in the modern-day church, uh, not only for individuals, but for families. You could say that uh, you've got the individual in the rowboat, or you've got families in the rowboat, you've got a church in the rowboat, uh, where these sorts of uh, issues are out of kilter, you've got the rowboat not going in an effective direction. Yep. Yes, indeed. And it's really, I guess, that um, that really comes to light in the, the next part of the revelation God gave me, which was to do with the coxswain. Um, you asked me about whether it's a single-person boat or a boat with a number of people, and uh, your listeners would have seen rowing events where often there is, in fact, uh, an extra person in the boat, and that person isn't facing backwards, they're facing the future, and that person's known as the coxswain, and the coxswain is the is the person that's uh, looking after the the speed and direction, and is concerned about the environment in which the the boat is moving. And one of the original um, meanings of, of the coxswain is boat servant. I actually looked it up in the Macquarie Dictionary or something, and as I went down the list, I got to this boat servant, and I immediately thought of Jesus' words in Mark 10.45, where he said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And so the coxswain serves all the roles in the boat, and... He's the one that releases us from the anxiety and fear of what's going on around us. And that leaves us as spiritual rowers to focus on trusting and obeying. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture 
and current events. It's good to have you along with us. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. We're talking about a book called Life in the Rowboat, something of a metaphor for who we are as individuals, who we might be as a group of Christian believers in the church and how our lives are directed to move forward. And as you've been listening to our conversation so far, moving forward by facing backwards, if you're rowing a boat, and with an oar in each hand, one that might represent trust, the other representing obedience. Uh, And there's some significant illustration about that. And of course, if you don't have all of those things in unison, you find yourself going around in circles. You might have your own illustration to offer, 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join our conversation. Richard Eagle is the author of the book called Life in the Rowboat. And Richard, as we get to a point where we'll talk about where the rubber hits the road in individual lives, what it means to our hope and our purpose as individuals and as people who are corporately believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a very important aspect of what your illustration brings out and that is the connection to the cross how does that fit in well interestingly there's a connection between the cross and the ark um the the word picture meaning behind the word ark is house of the sign and so of course you'll ask the house of the sign of what well let me try and help with that. Um, as, as we spoke earlier, that the, the ark is a picture of grace and there's no better example of God's grace, his unmerited favour, than what we see that Yeshua has done for each one of us on the cross. So I was fascinated to discover that in relation to building uh, the ark, God gave... Uh, know what seems to us to be a rather unusual instruction. And in Genesis 6 verse 14, he said to him, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Now, I don't know about you, Neil, but I never paid much attention to that reference to pitch. Oftentimes it's the sort of thing you (laughs) tend to gloss over. That's right. Absolutely. So you can imagine my surprise when I began to study that word and I discovered the the word pitch shares the same root word as the word atonement. So effectively God was saying to Noah, line the ark inside and out with a symbol of atonement or atoning blood. And that was quite amazing for me. Um... And so that gives us three things that we know about the ark. First, it was made of gopher wood. Uh, second, it was lined inside and out with a symbol of atonement or blood. And thirdly, we know that it was uh, built through Noah obeying the will of God. So where else in Scripture do we find those three things? Wood, blood, and obedience and the first one is in relation to the first Passover where in obedience the Hebrews took the blood of the Passover lamb and put it on the wood of the doorpost and of course that event 
pointed towards the cross where, in obedience, Yeshua would shed his blood on a wooden cross. And so the ark is the sign or the house of the sign of grace and it's the house of the sign of the cross. So the rowboat is also an expression of the work of the cross. There is certainly a richness, isn't there, uh, in the allegory uh, that you can draw on, uh, the metaphor uh, of the way that uh, we can understand the Scripture. And uh, sometimes we don't always give as much attention to those things. Uh, Oftentimes uh, uh, when we talk about allegory, we talk about metaphor, uh, these sorts of word patterns that we get in the Scriptures. But you're uh, talking about the study of the Hebrew lettering and uh, the the Hebrew word pictures, which bring out a certain richness uh, in the connections there uh, between the ark and the cross. And, and you know, we know that there are uh, connections between the ark and the cross because uh, that's something that Jesus talked about. So uh, to be able to bring those things out in a really uh, wonderful way like you have done, that's uh, that's very interesting, uh, Richard. Uh, Richard, we're going to take a break in just a short while. We're going to news and we're going to continue our conversation afterwards. Uh, But just to draw attention to uh, some of your feelings, after many years in churches, you observed uh, that many Christian believers don't have a grasp on how highly God values purpose. When we start talking future and we start talking hope, and we're drawing on your uh, illustration of life in the rowboat today, I want to invite listeners to participate in our conversation. If you have some contribution to make, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Richard Eagle is our guest. Uh, his book, Life in the Rowboat, uh, you can get a hold of that uh, through Amazon. It was a bestseller in its category on Amazon last year. There's also a one-day seminar entitled Get Your Butt in the Boat. Back with more after the news. Uh, Richard talks about fear of failure and fear of the future and those things becoming things of the past. Uh, Richard, when we talk about the the illustration of the rowboat, and there's all sorts of ways that we can talk about it, and uh, listeners might like to contribute on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen, especially someone who might have some rowing experience, because there's all sorts of things that make a champion rowing team, and uh, so uh, there might be some more things we can draw out here. But let's talk about uh, these places where the rubber hits the road in ordinary people's lives: fear of failure fear of the future. How does understanding the rowboat illustration help us to uh, to defeat those things? Well, for, for me, Neil, the, the, the great thing about the, the rowboat was the realisation that um, the majority of our anxieties and fears are future-focused. Um, someone wrote that worry is imagining a future without God in it. And I'd like to suggest that fear and anxiety comes when we imagine a future without God in it. And, of course, in the rowboat, um, the future is behind us. Therefore, it isn't uh, something that should be bringing fear and anxiety to us because we're actually facing backwards, looking at the goodness and faithfulness of God that is encapsulated in the person of Yeshua, who is the coxswain 
in our boat who is actually taking care of all those uh, anxieties and fears that, that surround us. And he's the one who is taking care of that. So the, our call is simply to engage the oars and to trust and obey. Well, let's, let's turn your picture on its head for a moment and see if we can put ourselves in the picture. Uh, supposing we have a rowboat and there are multiple people rowing. Yep. Uh, now, I think, it, it, is it sixes and eights uh, in, Eight, in yeah. eights? Okay, yep. eight people and a coxswain on the rowboat. Uh, let's put ourselves in the picture and uh, you might be one of those rowers on the boat. Uh, let's, as I say, turn this upside down. Uh, everyone else on the boat is facing uh, uh, backwards, uh, like back to the uh, to the forward motion. Uh, supposing, uh, supposing I'm facing the wrong way, something's going to go wrong with the rowboat, isn't it? Absolutely. And suddenly, uh, the the state of the boat becomes unstable for everyone in the boat. As soon as we we try to. Uh, the way I like to look at it is there's there's this um, there's seems like there's this thing b- built into each one of us that has this uh, desire to know what the future is, and uh, it's not really surprising, Neil, because our whole environment uh, is constantly uh, focusing us in that area. Uh, Let me give a very simple illustration. Uh, Almost every advertisement that you see or hear, it's actually trying to create for you a picture of what your future might look like if you buy this product or if you engage in this activity or so on and so forth. So it's not surprising that we struggle with this whole concept of of always wanting to to seemingly look at our future. But in the act of doing that, we have to disengage the activity of rowing. So we have to stop trusting and, uh, and obeying and even trying to, in a sitting position, trying to turn your head to be able to view where you're going is extremely uncomfortable and extremely difficult and it's just not a a natural, comfortable thing to do. It's far, far better to be facing backwards and simply focusing on trusting and obeying. Okay. Well, uh, supposing uh, we've still got the illustration turned on its head here and the adjustment for our lives, rather than worrying about uh, all of the anxieties of what may come in the future, we adjust ourselves and we turn around in the rowboat. We're now facing backwards. Uh, We're now facing the same direction as others are facing. And so we've got that right. 
Now uh, we've got to have an oar in each hand, uh, trust and obey. And uh, just for the illustration purpose of turning everything on its head, uh, supposing we, we're not very coordinated, <laughs> Richard, uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who've ever rowed a boat who know what it is uh, not to be very coordinated rowing, uh, supposing we don't have the trust and the obedience working in unison. Yes, I actually had a friend in Canberra who was in in a group that I was sharing this with, and he'd actually um, rode, um, you know, semi-professionally in in races, and he was telling me that when he was when he initially uh, began to learn to row as part of a team, he said he got so many blood noses from from misstroking and hitting himself <laughs> with the <laughs> oar handle okay. in his nose. <laughs> okay. um, that's, that's one of the things that can happen. And I guess it, it gives us this uh, very real uh, picture of, of how things often work in, in the church or in the body of Christ. And we're, we're all trying to get to that point where we're, we're clearly hearing the voice of the coxswain together. Okay, and, and the idea of uh, being in this picture, turning the illustration upside down, uh, you've got the turning around, now we're facing the right direction uh, so that the boat can go forward because now we've got a, an oar in each hand, trust and obey, uh, but we're deaf to the instructions of the coxswain. Uh, again, we're out of unison with all the other rowers in the boat. How important is it to be able to hear the voice of the coxswain? And you're talking about hearing the voice of God. Absolutely. And as it is in in the in the natural uh, rowing eight team, if they're not clearly clearly hearing uh, the coxswain, who literally is saying stroke, 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 you know, if each of the rowers isn't in unison with with the voice of the coxswain, then you know the. The boat loses speed, it loses direction, it can begin to be turned in a different direction and all sorts of things start to happen and the the whole thing begins to break down. Richard, is there an issue here as we relate this illustration to real life and real local churches, real Christian believers working together for the kingdom? Uh, that there is oftentimes a lack of humility. Uh, those who are wanting to row their own direction, uh, rowing in their own timing and not listening to the coxswain, not uh, being in unison with the other rowers in the boat. Is this one of the challenges that every church faces? Absolutely, and I I put my hand up and say I've been I've been guilty of that. <laughs> I think we might uh, all put our hands up. Yeah, of... Um, Getting something else in in my in my head, and for some reason, my stroke has become something something totally different to anyone else in the boat. And um, you know, then we begin finger pointing as to well, who was it? Like, <laughs> but the 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 real issue is: are we all listening? 
to he who is the head of the body? Are we listening to the voice of Yeshua? Now, what comes next in a conversation like this uh, has to point out what might be obvious for some is that they might not be in the boat at all. And uh, it's one thing to be in the boat, uh, facing the wrong direction, or then adjusting that and then all of a sudden discovering that you've got trust and obey, two different oars, they have to run in unison, you have to be there listening to the coxswain go stroke, 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 but there are going to be some, Richard, who just are not in the boat. Now, I imagine this uh, might lead to some discussion about the one-day seminar that you uh, also present called Get Your Butt in the Boat, but uh, there's an awful lot of people perhaps in church life that aren't in the boat at all. How does that work? Okay, well, that brings us to back to Jeremiah 29 verse 11 where we started out for... I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And uh, the word no, uh, the word picture there is actually the hand to pull towards. And so I see that as, as we might stand at one end of the jetty, remembering the Jeremiah 29.11 is the jetty that we walk along to get in, into, the, into the boat. So we're at one end of the jetty and Yeshua is in the rowboat at the other end of the jetty and he's actually extending his hand and he's longing to pull us towards the rowboat and he's inviting us into an experience of his grace and an experience of the work of the cross. So I, I, I just, my heart just goes, oh, that's, that's such a powerful picture for me. Yep. Um, the, the, the invitation's always there to get in the boat. Uh, doesn't matter where we've been, how we've messed up, or whatever it might be. Um, if we just look, the length of the jetty, Yeshua's there with his hand extended, uh, longing to help us into the rowboat. And if we go back to Jeremiah 29, verse 11, uh, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Now, this word thoughts is just... um, uh, It's another... I, I... I have to excuse myself. I, I get excited and I keep repeating things, but uh, many of those words just get me so excited. <laughs> but the word, uh, the word picture behind thoughts is silent balance of chaos. And uh, I don't know about you, Neil, but that describes some things that happen in my head on a regular basis where I feel like I'm running around trying to balance uh, all these different thoughts in my head. Um, but the, the interesting thing is that in Jeremiah 29.11, it's, it's actually talking about the thoughts of God. Now, I can't imagine God running around trying to balance a chaos of thoughts. So I had to ask myself the question, well, what's God's response to chaos? 
And I found the answer way back in Genesis 1, verse 2. And there it describes uh, things before God began creating. And it says that the that it was void and without form. And that expression without form in the meaning behind that is a place of chaos. So it means that whatever happens next must be God's response to chaos. And we read in Genesis 1 verse 3 God's response to chaos. And he said, let there be light and there was light. And let there be light is actually a single two-letter Hebrew word. And it's the word or. Can you imagine God booming that? <laughs> okay. I think there'll be those who've been listening to our conversation uh, carefully through since the beginning will have a deeper appreciation. And uh, we're talking about a rowboat uh, as a metaphor, as an illustration for our lives. And uh, the jetty that is alongside the rowboat, the rowers in the boat, uh, Jesus is called to us to get into the rowboat. And uh, as you're saying, Richard, uh, when we talk about the chaos of our lives, uh, the invitation is that God invites us to get into the rowboat, uh, to row in the one direction, according to the instruction of the coxswain, and uh, that as we do row in direction, we're moving forward. And without uh, fear, without anxiety, and with a way of looking back to God's goodness and his faithfulness and being able to enjoy the journey as we go. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments, draw some loose ends together. Our special guest this hour is Richard Eagle. He's the author of a bestseller in its category on Amazon called Life in the Rowboat. We are talking about this as an illustration of getting things in coordination when it comes to our Christian walk. He also does a one-day seminar called Get Your Butt in the Boat. We're back with more in just a few moments. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Richard Eagle is our guest, the author of Life in the Rowboat. And uh, Richard, we'll take one call. Let's hear from Wendy in Queensland. Hello, Wendy. Welcome along. Are you there, Wendy? Oh, yes. Wendy, uh, very quickly, what are your thoughts? Well, I know that, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to, I guess, hear the voice of the Lord because how does he speak to us? He can, I think he can speak to us in many different ways, um, especially through his word or through, you know, like um, just maybe the Bible does say gives young men visions and dreams and but um, I was just thinking, um, you know, the greatest thing that the Lord said, the very last word he said on the earth was, go ye out and make disciples, uh, um, baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and um, proclaim my gospel and lay hands on the sick and raise the dead and you shall do more, greater things than these shall you do in my name. And um, that was when he was ascending to heaven. He said, uh, you know, that the harvest is ripe and the labor is a few. 
Wendy, you're making a wonderful point here because uh, hearing the voice of God uh, really is going to point us in a direction of God and his mission, that God is a missional God and that those things of uh, sharing the gospel, of discipling, those are a part of what it is uh, uh, to be heading in the right direction. So uh, just a a response from you, uh, Richard, on uh, what Wendy's sharing. Yeah, absolutely. That's... um that's central and God's heart is is indeed to invite people uh, to take that walk along the jetty and and to come and be seated in in the rowboat. Uh, earlier before the break I mentioned uh, God's saying let there be light and that it's the Hebrew word or the word picture behind that Neil is first establish the highest and the question comes the highest what well as we read on we we see the in creation that god created everything with a purpose and so i like to look at it as god said let there be purpose and this was particularly so in regard to mankind that he has given each one of us uh, a unique purpose, and that unique purpose is realised as we live life in the robot. Thank you so much to Wendy from Queensland for your input today, and we've run out of time. Uh, Richard, I want to point people to uh, your website uh, where they can uh, access some uh, resources and where they can get a, a hold of a, a link there to uh, to download Life in the Rowboat. It was a number one bestseller in its category on Amazon last year. And the website to go to is richardeagle.com. That's richardeagle.com. And uh, also some details there about the one-day seminar entitled Get Your Butt in the Boat. Uh, we've been talking about the rowboat as an illustration of how we're called into a Christian life uh, to face the right direction looking back towards God's goodness and faithfulness, uh, to be rowing in unison with one oar called trust, the other oar obedience. Uh, So it's time not to be on the jetty, but in the boat. Richard Eagle, great getting your insights today. I really appreciate your taking time to share these things with our listeners today on 2020. It's been a great privilege and uh, thank you for the honour of sharing. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.